Being a mother is an attitude, not biology. An unknown writer once said, if you give me any three words, I'll write you a story about my mother. Story is in our DNA, and of course, so is she. We gathered stories from men and women in all walks of life. Stories about the ones we have, the ones we are, the ones we know. This includes stories about stepmothers, godmothers, grandmothers, birth moms, foster moms, the mom up the street. It includes stories about not being a mom and stories about mothering in other ways. No matter how you slice it, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Hi everybody, I'm Lupe Padilla Mitchell. I'm a life coach of mothers and families and a mother of three adult daughters. I'm Katie Mitchell, actress, writer, storyteller, and mom of a teenage son. Today's guest is Elia Braden. She's going to share with us two of her poems, one being How to Be a Bad Mother, because in her own words, you can't give what you didn't get. Elia Braden is a former corporate lawyer and entrepreneur and is now a widely published poet and collage artist. And we were thrilled to have her share a couple of her poems why don't we read your two pieces? Great. So the first one is How to Be a Bad Mother. Hold your baby girl too tight, or don't hold her at all. Transfer her from bassinet to carriage, wearing Kevlar gloves, lest your love burn through your skin, brand her with your need. Leave her in the care of nannies, neighbors, the mailman, while you walk the dog. Or never leave her alone. Take her to school in the morning. Wait for her before the afternoon bell. Hover in the hall outside her bedroom. Eavesdrop on whispered conversations with her friends. Let her dress her two-year-old self in stripes and flower prints because she's a big girl. Because she's one no away from a tantrum. Because her baby brother's crying in the next room. Because you're on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Smile when your mother asks, you're letting her go out in that? Scream at your daughter when you find her crouching in a forest of winter coats at Macy's after 10 minutes of calling her name, plowing through clothing racks, shoving aside other shoppers. Threaten to show her naked baby pictures to future boyfriends. Always hug her as she leaves the house or never hug her. Sing at the top of your lungs to your favorite Madonna song on the radio while you're driving her and her friends to a party. Demand that she apologize to Amanda, the girl she shunned in fifth grade, the girl she said she didn't notice, didn't know, couldn't care less about. You were once Amanda. Don't let your daughter be one of those girls. Force her to wear sunscreen every day. So what if she whines about the white streaks on her nose? Drag her to mother-daughter classes on the joys of puberty. Then cry when she hides her first bloody panties from you, the way you did from your mother. Walk out the door, move to another state, change your name, and leave her with her father, the one she always loved more. Wow. Really? That was great. Thank you. Tell me about that before we move on to the, the other one. Sure. Let's, let's just talk about this one for a second. Um, what drove you to, like, what happened? <laughs> what drove me to write this? I was taking class and we were looking at how-to poems and how all of us are experts in something. Sometimes we don't even know what it is. <laughs> and it's an interesting formula for a poem. And this just popped out. <laughs> 
part of the story, which is in, which is in here at the end, is uh, my daughter had always been a daddy's girl from the time she was little, which I talk about in the other piece as well. And I had a lot of insecurities with her. I was working like a maniac when my daughter was born as a corporate securities lawyer. So from the get-go, I was leaving the house often at six in the morning, frequently not coming home till late, um, or I would come home in time to put her to bed and then I'd be working again after she went to sleep. So I had a lot of insecurities about my ability to mother her. And then there was a period of time when she was a year and a half where I had taken a job in Seattle. We'd been living in Los Angeles. And for three months, I was back and forth between Los Angeles and Seattle. So I was here every weekend, or they were up there visiting me every weekend. So we were seeing each other every weekend. But for five days in between, I was up there working and didn't see her. And it got to the point where after a little while, she didn't know every time I walked out of the house, if it was for five minutes or for five days. And when a child's a year and a half, they don't really have a sense of time like that. And it was very hard on both of us. Mm. Um, and at the end of that period of time, I did as much as I could to have a lot of one-on-one time with her. Every weekend, we'd have Saturdays. That would be just our day. Um, her dad traveled a lot. So there was a lot of times that we were just together. But for the first five years of her life, she wouldn't fall asleep easily without him there. And when he was traveling, it was just like two hours of crying before she'd finally wear herself out. Um, So that was part of the genesis of all of this. Just as a mom, that has to be hard. It was incredibly hard. I thought when I was moving up there that they would join me within a few weeks, that we'd either sell our house right away or my then husband would get a job right away in Seattle. And it just took longer than we expected. But it was a really challenging time for me and for her. And then after that, so that was 1993. And then in 2006, uh, my first husband and I split up and I was the one who moved out. And as I talk about in the next piece, Mm -hmm. um, to be a mother, he had primary custody because he kept the house. And I'd wanted to do one week at his place and one week at mine, but he Mm -hmm. had really pushed to have them have a primary place. And for a variety of reasons at the time, particularly because of his unhappiness about my leaving within just a few months. And my daughter was 14 and a half at that point, which was a difficult age anyway, between mothers and daughters. I mean, before I moved out, we'd actually been talking about possibly sending her to boarding school. It wasn't just me. She was having a difficult time in life at that point. Um, But within a few months, she refused to stay with me at all. And because she wouldn't stay with me, my son wouldn't stay with me either. And that was a really horrible time. Um, I bet. And so the piece to be a mother is is before that's happened, when they were still staying with me a couple of days a week. Why don't we go into that piece? Sure. <laughs> to be a mother. It's my first morning in my newly rented townhouse. I'm sitting alone in the upstairs bay window, my laptop open on the cherry wood veneer of the folding bridge table I'm using as a dining table with its four matching folding chairs. Ten more days until the movers. Nothing else but stained oak floors between the kitchen to my left and the massive slate-tiled fireplace to my right. I feel untethered in this empty space. But I'm not untethered. I have my children, Rose and Joshua, well, at least two days a week. I never wanted to be a mom. The first line of my new audition monologue floats up. 
my acting coach delighted when tears glistened my eyes. I wasn't about to tell him how close this cut to the bone. Email Rose her school essay, I remind myself. I see Rose's face, a closed fist of frustration. My lack of internet service last night boiling into, I hate you, you ruin everything. Where did you go, my golden rose? My giggling toddler with your sun-streaked ringlets, your raisin sticky kisses. I remember my mother's confession. I know you think that your dad and I are constantly fighting, but we weren't always like this. Everything changed when you kids came along. When she told me this, I was 27 or 28, married but no kids yet. We'd been walking a slow hike up Franklin Canyon. Thanks to her, we'd started late. The sun high in the sky, even in shorts and a sleeveless shirt, sweat frizzed my brown wavy hair. Why didn't I bring a water bottle? The straggly trees along the trail looked thirsty. I noticed a black pen cap on the trail. What's that doing here, I wondered, eager to escape that voice in my head taunting. See, she never wanted you. That's why everything about you is wrong. I wanted to run away. Instead, as always, I froze. I blinked. I swallowed tears. Come on, I said. Let's keep going. My husband, Michael, wanted children right away. He was older, only four years, but I swear I could hear his paternal clock ticking. At 28, I buzzed on the adrenaline of the acquisitions, IPOs, and hostile takeovers of my law practice. I'd resisted motherhood until a snowbound week in Taos. What a fool I was to think I was ready to have a baby. After nine months of, did I drink too much before I knew I was pregnant? A low AFP test, an amnio, swollen ankles, lumbering around, fat and gawky, barking at strangers who touched my belly as if I were public property. She refused to enter this world. An emergency C-section, her umbilical cord looped three times around her body, once around her neck. A pulsing boa constrictor trying to squeeze the life from my slick, shivering girl. After the scissors, the slap, her scream, her arms and legs swam through the air as if she were still bobbing in my internal ocean, her eyes dark underwater caves. I held out my arms, longing to feel the weight of her, impatient while the nurses wiped away her overcoat of fluids brushed her abundant curly hair before handing her to me. I wanted to hold her, inhale her, have her sleep in my room, but they took her away. They promised they'd bring her back to nurse, but they didn't. That tempt call light. At 2 a.m. I pressed it again and again, but it was over an hour before they brought her to me. And then she wouldn't latch because they'd given her a bottle of glucose water. She doesn't want you, the voice in my head sneered. Just like your mother, you'll never be enough. At home, I was afraid to hold her. Sure, I'd drop her, imagining her head splitting open on the red bricks of our patio. I was afraid to bathe her, certain I'd glance away for a moment and look back to see only her dark curls waving like Pacific seaweed as her final breath bubbled to the water's surface. So I kept handing her off to Michael, because I loved her because I knew I'd hurt her, because I'd been hurt in ways I remembered and ways I didn't. By her second summer, her constant refrain, I love daddy all by myself. 
Now, thinking about my mother's confession, I realized that she didn't mean that she didn't want us. She did. She just didn't know how to be a wife and a mother, how to slice her love into quarters and have it be enough for any of us. I never wanted to be a mom. No, that's not right. I love Rose and Joshua. I always have. I see in the space and light of my new home, my chance to show them the mother I can be outside of Michael's shadow. I attach Rose's school essay to an email. Hit send. That is such a moving piece. Unbelievable. Thank you. I still can't read it without crying. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, you can't hear it without crying. Yeah. Motherhood is hard. (laughs) One of my writer friends said, having children means willing to have a part of your heart walk around outside your body. Yeah. I I just love, I kept handing her off because I loved her. You know, that is, that, those are words that anybody at any age who is struggling about a mother's love could kind of understand there were so many ways to protect them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And none, none of us can give what we don't have, what we haven't gotten. Have. Yeah. Um, I mean, the best is, you know, hope with therapy or whatever personal help you can get to be able to see yourself from the outside enough to be able to gain some additional wisdom about what you're doing. But one of the things I realized along the way is that none of us can perfectly love any other human being because we're not them. We don't know what they mean. Yeah, exactly. And with children, it's particularly hard because they don't always communicate, mostly don't communicate their needs well. You know, for them, everything seems like the end of the world. And it's hard as a parent to know what is and what isn't. And you know, the best we can do is have a little perspective on it and step back and and go, this isn't about me <laughs> always, right? right? Yeah. And one thing I feel really grateful for is after this period where my kids didn't stay with me and were so upset about things. Um, and then we started kind of getting things back together again when I moved to LA. And then there was kind of another meltdown period um, where there were other additional things that they got upset about. And I just went to them and said, give me your best shot. You know, tell me whatever it is that I've ever done. That's bothered you. Give me your best shot. And, and they did. And they each had a chance by themselves to tell me all the things that they felt that I had done. Mm. And not that it was the only shot. There've been additional discussions since then, but those talks, it was, I had gotten to the point where I was able to take their Take it in without taking it on. And that's where real healing can begin. That's the only way healing can begin, you know, is to just be willing to sit there and hear things that you've done that have hurt somebody and, and, and just be still in the moment and let them say what they have to say. You know, that's, that's beautiful that you did that. I didn't try to defend myself or change their minds. I just said, yeah, I'm really sorry that I've hurt Mm. you. I would like to do things differently in the future. Tell me how we can repair our relationship. Mm. That's what Lupe and I are discovering is so exciting kind of about doing this podcast, these moments. This is something that you learned that you did that somebody else hopefully will hear and, and take away and say, oh, I'm going to do that with my kids. I'm going to go sit down and let them just take their best shot, spill it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it takes a certain amount of ego strength because I think before I, my mother, my mother was so critical constantly mm-hmm. Um, well, even now, or <laughs> the last time I saw her, she just can't stop herself from just being not critical to the point of meanness. Um, and so I had grown up feeling so insecure and so needing for other people to validate me. 
And what I've learned as an adult is how to care for myself and, and forgive myself and have compassion for myself in a way that I can say, okay, if somebody else has something negative to say about me, that's their perspective. And clearly I had something to do with that, but it doesn't make me a bad person. Yeah, right. I've just done things that weren't good for this relationship, but I can also change that. It's not that I'm internally a bad person, but it takes being able to really know that about yourself before you can take that kind of feedback. No question. Or at least it did for me. And now in this new unit of time going forward, you can change how this goes. Exactly. Mm. Just take some personal growth to be able to be there. Mm. That's why some people just keep it up. I'm a a life coach and sometimes I I tell people right now, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? (laughs) I used to work with a life coach and that was her line too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, people keep going into that same relationship and banging their head against that same wall. And and when you point out you want to be right, like people want to be right, Um, it, it will cost you your happiness. If someone could get that, Mm -hmm. it is amazing how much pain they could save themselves. Yes. Yes. And I'm so grateful now when my daughter graduated from college, she moved back to LA and we've gotten so much closer Mm -hmm. and she lived with us on and off over periods of time. And my son's been here in LA and we've gotten to spend a lot of amazing time together. And when he travels around cooking, which is what he does, Mm -hmm. I visit him wherever he is. And it's just, I've seen such a difference in what our relationship is and how close we can talk now. Mm. And I'm just so grateful for whatever we've been through to bring us to where we are now. What do they think of your writing? Um, my son actually thinks it's good. My daughter is not interested in reading any of it. And, and just so you know, I changed the names in the, to be a mother to protect their privacy. Um, it's part of a larger piece where I had done that, but, um, but my son's looked at some of the stuff on my website, but my daughter is not interested. Right. It, it just seems to me that um, it would allow some, some background, some clarity, some insight. You're so honest. I just think of painful relationships I've had. And uh, if, if I could read what was on their minds, it would make that, uh, that forgiving easier. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, I do too. Well, in her own time. (laughs) Definitely. Elia, I I can't thank you enough for joining us and for sharing these gorgeous pieces. Thank you. And and just for, you know, all the insight you just shared with us too, because that's at the crux of everything. And that's, you know, that's what storytelling and sharing stories with one another does. We help each other evolve. Yes. And sometimes we have to talk about things that are really uncomfortable truths. Because like you said, you can't give what you didn't get. So thank you for being here. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, that's the show. And to find out more about our writers, go to our website, Instagram, or Twitter. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. And that's the number one, not the word one. Want to do something to help us? Go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can say something complimentary because you know what? It really does help other people find our show. And also share us with a friend because word of mouth is the best compliment. Join us next week.